Are you an enthusiastic wine drinker but sweat uncontrollably over a restaurant list from Albarino to Zweigelt? Set aside your fears, relax, and start enjoying wine without worry. Here's your host, Jameson Fink. You know, I find a bottle of wine lovingly poured into a glass to be uh, fancy and special, but... uh, Every now and then I like to step up my game and take my beloved wine and turn it into a cocktail. But uh, about all I can do is drop a maraschino cherry into a glass of sparkling wine and call it a cocktail. But thankfully I'm here talking with Eric Chapman, who is the head distiller and operations manager of Sun Liquor. And uh, Eric, thanks for being here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My question for you is, uh, see, I've got a nice bottle of sparkling wine in the fridge, and I'm not a uh, cocktail genius. What is something that I can do that's simple and going to look cool and impress a significant other or a crowd of guests? The awesome thing about sparkling wine is it goes hand in hand with spirits, and they love each other, and they work so well together. So you can do anything as simple as a, you know, classic... um, Cure Royale cocktail, which is just creme de cassis on the bottom, champagne on the top, or any sparkling white you have, garnished with a lemon twist, or go completely nuts. Um, you know, you got to think about so many of the spirits that you're enjoying. A lot of the times, use cuvee or champagne yeast to ferment whatever it is, whether it's fruit for brandy or um, grain for gin or whatnot. Use the same yeast, and so the two just go really nicely together. So they have uh, so they have an affinity, uh, sparkling wine and spirits. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. And um, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that you sent me a recipe called the, uh, and that'll, that'll be on my blog, jamesonfink.com, called the Brassy Fly Cocktail, which mm-hmm. has uh, sun liquors, hedge trimmer gin, uh, a lemon shrub, a Meyer lemon shrub, cinnamon syrup, some uh, scrappies bitters, and uh, then, of course, topped with white wine, um, sparkling wine. And um, what I wanted to ask is... Uh, shrubs and things like that should i be in bitters or uh, actually no shrubs and um syrups like that let's talk about shrubs shrubs are the thing that uh should i be afraid uh to make my own shrubs no absolutely not yeah they're totally easy and and you have to think that a shrub is a colonial way of preserving fruits and vegetables via vinegar and um the nice thing is that you can make these at home really simply and they last forever when refrigerated and probably not when refrigerated but i haven't tested it yet and so the one with the myers lemon shrub and the organic apple cider this is like the classic you know 400 year old shrub um it's perfect this time of year myers lemons are just coming in they're so tasty beautiful you can kind of mess with the recipe that i gave you and kind of add more vinegar if not but the point is to make something that's slightly tart and a little vinegary, but you want the acidity there, but it's mostly to add a, a, a bright effervescence to the cocktail mm-hmm. and the essence of the flavor. And so, like I said, you can make a little bit of these. They're cheap to make, and they'll store in the fridge forever, and you can try them out in dozens of cocktails. And then you look really fancy and cool, and, and no one knows. You look really cool. <laughs> 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 now, talking about bitters, uh, you make your own bitters, right? We do a there lot are, of bitters. There here. are sun liquor bitters. Correct. Um, one thing I do know how to make is um, like the champagne cocktail where you soak a sugar cube and drop the uh, drop that in the bottom of the flute and then add the, the champagne or your sparkling wine right. on top of that. Right, absolutely. Um, that's, a, that's a classic champagne cocktail, and that's done with Angostura bitters, and I haven't I make a similar bitters to Angostura and herbal, but I've never been able to actually match that recipe. So I think Mm -hmm. things that are done with Angostura, go to the store and buy it because it's 
they use certain barks and you know a certain type of rum to make it that it's just incredible but we do ours all from you know in in a series of matters so we'll take an organic spirit that we make and then soak each individual botanical at different proofs for different lengths of time and then blend them back together and so the reason I started making bitters was because I just didn't I saw too many glycerins and glycerins and uh, corn sugars and stuff that are in those ingredients and so I kind of just started doing it as a hobby and it turned in turned into a distilling career and um, I just found that without the use of cutting corners with sugars and glycerins and whatnot um, your bitters come out fresh and vibrant and wonderful the other nice thing about making uh, that that champagne cocktail with the sugar cube is it makes, especially in the uh, in a flute, it makes it like super super effervescent. Bubbly it's like one, yeah. it's like a it's like a typhoon, a tornado in your glass. All of the, so it looks really nice when you're at a party and oh, it's candle. Absolutely, and stuff. it's all from the barks that are in there, the chinchona bark and the gentian and stuff. All just make everything fizz up. I know wonderful. that. Yeah, very and cool. It's wonderful, and that is those add that and the cure royale are my favorites, and of course the French seventy five, which you can read a bazillion different. Uh, folklore on where the name came from. The thing that I see the most is it's um, Winston Churchill named it after the French 75mm guns in World War II. But classic gin, a little bit of sugar, um, lemon juice, and champagne. So that's it. You just need a few simple ingredients. Absolutely. And um, the other thing we're talking about making cocktails with sparkling wine, and um, I've seen, uh, I've you know seen on menus and stuff this idea of, uh, and restaurants too, of like lower alcohol cocktails or low tails, where people are are doing things with uh, with red wine, with white wine, with sherry, and things like that, just because they're because you can drink more of it, and also it tends to be more you know culinary friendly. Is that something you're seeing here in Seattle or you're experimenting with? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, you see a lot of champagne cocktails on menus for that reason and for the other reason that it's really cost efficient, uh-huh. but <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about <laughs> right. that one, but just like you see a lot of low ABV beers these days yeah. as well for the same reason is that I think people don't want to, people would like to go out and have more than one cocktail and it's hard to have a Manhattan, but when you go out and have like an Aperol spritz, which is yeah. some sort of sparkling wine, Aperol, and a little soda water, you can have two or three, feel great about life, still drive home, and not be, you know, blasted out the next morning. When I have two Manhattans, I feel great about life. <laughs> As do I. <laughs> and then I and then I walk home carefully. <laughs> and if we're on the if we're talking about bourbon or rye, one of my other all-time favorites is the classic Seelbach champagne cocktail which is from the Seelbach Hotel in Kentucky and that pairs bourbon with Cointreau Peychaud's and Angostura bitters and sparkling wine it's wonderful See, I never would have thought I would think with sparkling wine you'd use like you know a gin or or clear, clear spirits. Spirit. I would never thought of uh, matching uh, you know brown liquor like, right. like bourbon and, and, and remember wine. all spirits are clear until they come uh-huh. out of that cask and so I, I always tend to think that so many of those yeast strands are so familiar together that I think they are of, of a kin uh-huh. and they work really well together. I want to talk about the distilling process and kind of your role in it as a distiller because the whole sort of like the uh, the creed in, in winemaking is that, you know, great wine is made in the vineyards and all a, a person does, a winemaker should do is sort of like handle things very uh, lightly and gingerly and, um, you know, then you kind of get the, the best or the purest result. Whereas, you know, distilling, there's a lot more, you're, you're sort of in control of like when you're making gin, for example, of the aromatics you put in and, and things like that. Um, 
do you, uh, but then, you know, what it turns out then, do you feel like as a distiller, you really control the process or do you feel like there's some, also some kind of like magic going on that you can't control this kind of like uh, the art of it? I feel like there's both. I feel like you control as much as you can, but again, you're, you're working with grains and living organisms like yeast and everything is sort of inconsistent. And so you're taking these inconsistent properties and trying to make the most consistent thing possible. And I feel like there's, people do a pretty good job of that, but I think the nuances of batch by batch and the differences is actually what makes it really magical. And I think that's what's really fun is to taste something that we've made four or five years ago that's been barrel aged or not, mm -hmm. pulling it out and then tasting after it's off cast and being like, wow, it's, that was such a cool year, just like anything else. You like know, just vintage. like ex yeah. exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, in, in our world of spirits, the vintage term it's starting to catch on for smaller batches, but it is really only used in the Scotch world. I'm starting to mm -hmm. see it more oh, and really? more, Very and I'm hoping that it, hoping that we can take notes from our friends who make wine and uh -huh. kind of, I can help you take, with those notes. <laughs> take suit from what they've done and 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 blaze a path that way. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I see like all these like beer, uh, you know brewers like aging their beer and uh use like wine casks or whiskey casks and things like that too and uh so i think there's some like some synergy starting there so i'd kind of like to see that kind of triangle of of brewers distillers and um uh winemakers all kind of like you know sharing knowledge and sharing oh, absolutely. and experimenting together we're all doing very similar things and that's what's so important is that the fermentation process either way is very similar whether using grain or fruit or you know sugarcane um, a lot of the barrels we use, it's pretty hard to see, but we've got a couple back here and several on the walls back here. These are mostly French oak that we use, some sherry and very little American oak. Um, and just kind of every, every, but it's so nice to get that in, reuse it a few times and really see how it shapes your spirits. And then, then we will hand it over to a brewer who will then put some kind of beer in there and mm -hmm. then it comes full circle around, uh -huh. which is just awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty awesome. I have to say that I'm in the uh, production facility. I'm surrounded uh, literally by cases and cases of, of liquor. And uh, you make, uh, so you have rum and gin and uh, bitters that you sell. Right. We do a couple grain-based spirits, gin, vodka, a couple gins and vodka. We do cane-based, fresh cane juice, so like agricole, but made in Washington rums. And then we also work on brandies, single malts. We've done some sour mashes. Uh, as far as the brandies go, it's been apples, pears, and grapes and of different varietals. So a lot of that stuff's in barrels, and we're just waiting for the appropriate time to release it. Well, while you're waiting, come to Sun Liquor. There are two locations in Seattle, uh, both in Capitol Hill. There's the original, the lounge, uh, where I, I live close by. You'll probably see me there uh, more often than not. Or the uh, distillery, which is on uh, Pike, and uh, that's a little more spacious, but still uh, still got a great aesthetic, still very charming. And you can go to sunliquor.com yes, to find out more. And uh, Eric, thanks a lot for being on the show. And uh, now let's go have a uh, sparkling wine-based cocktail. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You're listening to Wine Without Worry with Jameson Fink. All right, all that talk about sparkling wine. Um, I just want to maybe not say a wine pick of the week, but some wine advice of the week well, with some picks included. Um, with sparkling wine, I don't care what you choose to make your cocktails with. Just make sure it's something that you would drink on its own, something that is palatable and high quality. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of money. I would say uh, something you can find in almost every grocery store in the United States is a 
a couple cava Segur of Yudas and Cristalino. They would be great for your cocktails. Um, also, I like uh, sparkling wines from a region of France that are called Blanquette de Lumieux. They're usually around 15-ish dollars or less, very high quality. Uh, great history of sparkling wine there. They actually were making sparkling wine even before they were doing it in Champagne by a considerable amount of years. So those two are very good uh, places to go, Cava and um, uh, Blanquette de Lemieux. I guess the one thing I would say is like, steer clear of the Andre and the Cooks. Uh, I cannot emphasize this enough. Uh, you wouldn't, um, you know, if you're making cocktails or sangria or anything like that, you don't want to think of a sparkling wine as like, uh, I'll just cover this shit up with some fresh fruit and brandy and, you know, no one will be the wiser. Um, really, the key to having great sangria and uh, sparkling wine cocktails is to start with a really good high quality wine and you don't have to break the bank to do so.